special edition a bonus episode of director's club but we're not talking about films or directors this time i periodically have conversations and or interviews all about pop culture so not just about movies for those who recall i had this um spin-off show called voices and visions but that feed is now defunct but those episodes are preserved and archived over at nowplayingnetwork.net Uh, So every year for Directors Club, as most uh, subscribers know, I go back 30 years with two film critics to analyze a particular year in film. And unlike last year, uh, my guest today and I, we, we all went back 20 years for our last conversation. But this time I asked a favor. I said, let's do something different. Let's go back 30 years to analyze the year 1992. Because to me, that was a monumental year for me um i was lucky enough to own my first guitar thanks to my dad we bought it at rubino's music (laughs) (laughs) and uh it was yeah it was a pv it was a red pv guitar and the reason why i asked my dad to uh, buy this guitar is because of a certain uh nirvana frontman that uh i suddenly decided well this is my this is my guy this is my hero so that's the reason why I decided I want to go back to 1992, and I need I need some help, as always. Uh, first up, we have the great Austin-based journalist, writer, and friend, Mr. Dan Solomon. Welcome back, Dan. Hey. Yay. Yeah. Good, good to have you back. And uh, returning fresh from his debut appearance last year is someone near and dear to me as well, a musician and writer whose work you can find, I believe, over at forestpunk.wordpress.com, correct? Correct. Mr. Jason Simpson, welcome back. Good to have you back, too. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. Super. I've been looking forward to this for months. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it, right? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a joy to make a playlist and sort of revisit a lot of records from uh, this year in particular for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into. And as always, we reveal our top 10 favorites and highlight some songs here and there. And of course there are song clips that I try to intersperse throughout the conversation. Uh, but since it, yeah, this is a, you know, a, a journey for us three, I think we should get started. Um, but as I always do start these episodes, like just a brief kind of summation as to who you were, back in 1992 for context any general memories or growing pains you can recall specifically 
Dan, we'll start with you. What do you, what do you, when, you, when I say the year 1992, what do you think of? So in 1992, I was living in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a whole lot going on. We had just moved there from Florida and we're just mm-hmm. about to move to Indiana. So it was a pretty short-lived time in my life. Um, musically, I listened to a lot of uh, Weird Al Yankovic and the Aladdin soundtrack. Those were really the the bangers around my house at that point. Um, I didn't get into music until a year or two later. So pretty much everything on this list, in fact, absolutely everything on this list is something I did not know existed in 1992. Um, but you know, that was I was 12 years old, and uh, yeah, just sort of figuring stuff out and moving around a lot and playing GI Joes in the basement in Omaha. <laughs> wow. The birthplace of uh, Saddle Creek, if I'm not mistaken. That's true. Yeah. Wow. Wild. Yeah. I've never been, but, uh, we're get- <laughs> me and the, I like it personally. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll admit through it, but yeah, but me and Jason are grateful that you, uh, relocated. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, me too. Yeah. Jason, any uh, any growing pains? Any memories when you think of 1992? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> and just kind of like, you know, it's similar to some of what Dan was just saying. And I feel like this is like maybe this particular year, this particular episode is like the one time when – the, the very slight like age discrepancy um, between you and Dan and I is like slightly um, more obvious, I, I guess. Cause like, I was like, I felt cause like, I think back to when I was 12 and like, and I, I was like, I was just very much a kid. Like I was just like completely um, just still like really, very much like a, a kind of a child and like um so like growing pains wise like is seventh grade so like that's like the beginning of like um jun- junior high you know kind of leaving elementary school and like uh, you know it was and i'm kind of with dan like i wasn't i wasn't really too much into music yet i was kind of sort of barely just starting to get into it um but like it was this brief. Oh God! It was it was it was like the trifecta. It was like the the classic like seventh grade kind of like you know the triple whammy curse of being like I grew like you know like eight inches you know six to eight inches like between sixth and seventh grade I like sprouted massively. I I got glasses. I got so, so I started wearing glasses and I got braces. Um, and so like it was like glasses braces grew a bunch was like super awkward and then um i have an older sister and like so i was like going into like junior high and i was all like okay and like my sister's like kind of popular she's like kind of cool and stuff and like so i'm like okay i'm just gonna like do what my sister does and i'm gonna like try to like i'm gonna like try to fit in or like you know because like i wasn't i wasn't super like um, you know, popular or anything in like elementary school. And like, so seventh grade was like my very brief stint in being, it was sort of like kind of really like status quo and kind of just like, it was like all like sort of like IU sweatshirts and like Z Cavaricis. Um, oh yeah. I was like try- and I was like trying to fit in and uh, which like 
it's just it still was not successful in, do, in doing like i just was never, never quite did get the knack of um joining of like full integration kind of and so i want to say it was seventh grade but like I, it was like kind of on a whim like and it was it wasn't a subcultural thing it was like just like a passing thought and like i was like one day i was like i'm just gonna start wearing all black like that's like a thing that like people do like people like you know like i don't even know where i got this idea from like it's kind of how it was in like my early teenage years like really sort of impulsive decisions and i was like i'm just gonna wear all black all the time and so i started doing that and and then so yeah and so like that was like kind of the very early forays and the like first like you know alternative music and then you know like by the following year like goth and stuff so Oh so, sure, yeah. we we went through that phase pretty hardcore, all of yeah. us, in, more, yeah, in different ways. Yeah, yeah, we we, cer- we certainly did, and and for yeah, for good reason. And it was it was a good time for, to do that too. So yeah, yeah. this was like kind of kind of that segue, kind of awkward, you know, teen kind of kind of kind of preteen kind of um, transition. Yeah, I'm I'm really grateful for two things that happened. One of them of you know happened earlier on in uh, 1990 when I saw Pump Up the Volume. Uh, That movie is, as most people know, because I've talked about it way too much on the podcast, uh, but, you know, it's a movie that pretty much saved my life. And then a couple years later, I saw Nirvana on MTV. I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, on a boombox outside the junior high school in Highland, Indiana. And I was like, hmm, this is really speaking to me. I'm responding to this in a way that you know before this yes i was also i was listening to a a lot of rap and you know they might be giants and which will come up and um yeah weird al of course and and you know just not necessarily i i kind of always took music seriously when i was younger because of my dad's vinyl collection but at the same time i feel like 1992 was the year that it wasn't just about me listening to music. It was me wanting to make music. It was me wanting to be a part of something, you know, finding my outlet, you know, to, to use a, a cliche, but that's exactly what happened is I picked up a guitar and everything after that changed. It was, yeah, it was the lightning bolt moment or that m- scene in the movie where suddenly everything makes sense, including, you know, uh, I was in band in high school and I met, a drummer named Nate Bohannon, and we all know what happened <laughs> as a result of that. So, in fact, the very first song we ever played together in a room in his basement was Angry Chair by Alice in Chains. Yep, that was the first song I learned on guitar. You would think it would have been Nirvana, right? <laughs> but that song seemed easier because it was had that very simple lick to start things out. Um, and it was just, yeah, I think it was the first time I looked into tab, guitar tablature and stuff. So 1992 was a hell of a year. We have uh, 10 records and some honorable mentions. I'm eager to hear your favorites. We're just going to go in this order. Dan, Jason, and myself. I want to hear what Dan's number 10 record of 1992 is. Let's get started. Sure. Yeah, this is actually a really tough year because right? there are so many great records. And like when I first first started going through, I was like, I don't know. I guess like I like that record. I like you know, oh, the Gin Blossoms record. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then like you start hitting the bangers, and you're like, shit. 
every like, this is such a strong year and uh so number 10 for me is a record i listen to all the time to this day it's uh the first body count record uh, <laughs> body, body count nice remarkable record the guitar sound on it is really pretty great um it is very much like a product of kind of the post 80s thrash world but um ice t just sings with such conviction that like i don't know there's there's a an edge to it that you don't really find most other places um you know, there goes the neighborhood is like one of the most savage songs ever recorded. Uh, you know, Cop Killer obviously, uh, you know, was as controversial as you would expect a song called Cop Killer to be. Um, but just everything on it, it's so mean spirited. I really love it. Yeah, it's not something that I went back to listen to. I do have a memory of checking it out and being really taken with Here Comes or There Goes the Neighborhood. Um, yeah, that's that's the best song on it. Um, but the whole thing is just got such, I don't know, like there's a song where he goes to see a, a witch doctor and he calls her a bitch and she starts torturing him and he's like, don't ever do that. And <laughs> it's a pretty strong moral, morality play from Ice-T. <laughs> It's just funny, though, to me, because like, I, yeah, I mean, talk to me a year earlier. I was all about that record OG original gangster Mm -hmm. and, you know, naughty by nature and whatever hip hop was huge in 90, 91. I was, yeah, I was, I was pretty much into it. It It's like the, the, the new me would is far more into, you know, the sound garden song on the pump up the volume soundtrack, but the old me was all about that, uh, freedom of speech hip hop mm-hmm. track from that record. And I can't remember who, who did that uh, above the law, right above the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, no, this is, this is just a wild transition to me where it's like, yeah, Ice-T fronting a metal band that I don't think I was ready for <laughs> when I was younger. And clearly the general public and politicians certainly weren't ready for it or even not even open-minded enough to, uh, engage with it in any meaningful way. And certainly that cop killer song is, uh, is infamous. You know, it's a lot of people point at that as being a yeah heavy moment in music history. And it was even taken off the record entirely. Yeah. Right? Hard to find a copy with it. Yeah, hmm. exactly. No, that's a great choice. I, I should have gone back and listened to that one. Maybe I, maybe it would uh, hold up or at least uh, connect with me now as opposed to back then. But uh, that's a, yeah, that's a really interesting choice too. I'm glad you brought it up. Jason, what's your number 10? Um, so I've already, uh, half, uh, alluded, alluded to this and, um, some, some might possibly be upset that this, this doesn't rank, rank higher, but it's, uh, here nonetheless and needed to be, uh, needed to be commemorated uh my number 10 is uh allison change dirt um sure 
It's in my and, honorable uh, mentions for sure. Yeah. And like, I was just thinking, you know, and it was like, and I said, I said this last year too, I think, but it's like, when I put these together, it's like kind of a mixture of like, it's, it's like either like my personal, like it's like personal favorites or also but stuff that I just think that is like the sort of objective kind of best of, of that year. So like sometimes even if something isn't necessarily like my own, like, uh, but I, I do like this record a lot too, but I, but I felt that it sort of needed, needed to be imagined. And like, um, and I just feel like, and I haven't, I haven't listened to this record like a whole ton, like since in the, you know, the time that has elapsed, but, but, uh, you know, for a decent amount. And I, I, I just, I do feel like it's one of the more, d- the grunge albums that um that holds up the best like i think it, i think it has sort of aged better than than many of the than a lot of like the, the grunge albums and then i also feel that it's like um uh i i, I um i felt like it's noteworthy because it's like it's, it's grunge it's it's like the it's like the more like metal side of grunge um mm. and like you don't you just don't, you don't necessarily hear, I don't know. I feel like the mainstream stuff like wasn't quite as, um, quite as heavy. Like it, it kind of, you know, maybe more of like a pop punk kind of feel or, you know, maybe some of those other flavors got a little bit more emphasized, but like this, this record is, is, is heavy as hell. Like it is like, I I was listening back to it and like, and like the guitars are, are like very, very heavy. Like it's like a, proper metal album i think and like and so and like that was like the part that really stood out you know the first stood out to me and then like i kind of like i've kind of people hear people mention this and then kind of you know but like it's a it's a pretty dark record <laughs> like it's it's um you might not necessarily like realize it because like we know so many of the songs or whatever but like it's a it's pretty grim. Like it's, and, uh, I, and I, I was like looking back over like things that people have written about it. And it's like a very much like a, it's like pretty much like heroin personified. Like it's like, mm-hmm. they're like almost like recreating the feeling of being of like being on heroin. And it's just like pretty, you know, heavy and dark in a way that like, I was not really aware of like, you know, like when this was coming out or even in the years since, like, I kind of listened to this and I was like, yeah, that, that it's just pretty dark and pretty heavy. And, uh, yeah, I had no idea. Rooster was about, you know, um, Jerry Cantrell's father who served in the Vietnam war. You know, when I was a kid, I wouldn't processing that, <laughs> you know, I wasn't aware of like the lyrical content as much. I was just kind of going, wow, that's a cool song. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And like, these are, you know, it's just some sort of like kind of dark and, and heavy themes that are, you know, we might not necessarily pick up when something's on just like a, just a radio, you know, you know, when things are just like radio singles or whatever. So anyway, that's my number 10. Well, you said the word singles and uh, that would have been perfect if the single soundtrack was my number 10, but the the Allison chain song would was on the single soundtrack. Hmm. And I believe it was Hmm. even maybe performed in the movie. But uh, that song just blows my mind to this day. That that very distinctive bass sound that opens that song is just is just like unlike anything I've heard. And uh, that opening track, "Them Bones," that riff, that opening riff, the way it just ascends on the guitar like that. 
That's so good. Oh, it's amazing. And it made me think of um, the opening of uh, The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails, um, oh, somewhat wow. somewhat damaged. Just da-da-da-da. And then oh, Bones yeah, is da 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 You know, so it's very similar. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Wow. I never would have put those together. That's an interesting connection. Uh-huh. No, that's a solid record. It really is. Uh, I always, I always, I do have to always separate myself from whenever I hear Alice in Chains. I, I can't help but think of Allison's mailbox. But oh, yeah. um, <laughs> God, classic high school. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, bless this, those guys. They were nice. It was just like the. I'm, I'm trying. I remember them. I, I never listened to Alice in Chains. Like you guys talking about this record, I don't have any friend. I know the song, I know the rooster song, but that's kind of it. Um, and yeah, I just remember this band and in my head, they were like all like the jocks, but they formed a rock band that sounded exactly like Allison's chain, Allison chains. And they called it Allison's mailbox, which is just such a crass move. You have no choice, but to respect it. Yes, that's exactly it. And when I saw them play live, I thought they were pretty great at what they were doing, you know, um, for me, I have something very different. It was a, it was a tough call. I'll mention what my, uh, you know, uh, honorable mention my number 11 essentially was for some reason. I just, it's a flip of a coin between this and the other choice I had, but my love of this lovely shoegazy ballad, heavy band called the Sundays. still works for me, you know, and I think that has to do with my, you know, appreciation of Mazzy star and the innocence mission, you know, and, and the, the, the guitar sound is very cock two twins at times. So, but this is a band that just, just sort of got swallowed up in, you know, at a, at a time when grunge was coming into fruition and everybody was tuning into MTV for something louder and more angsty. I found comfort in this record called blind by the Sundays. And yeah, so they were the kind of like the antithesis of the mood at the time. There's just like this kind of playful innocence yet. There's some dark lyrical content. If you read into it, because her vocals are, are not always like, you don't always know what she's singing in the same, in the same, when the same way as when you think of the cocktail twins, but there's like a stone roses and happy Mondays kind of feel to it at times. But I guess um, the guitarist and lead singer, they, they met together at college and then, then they sort of became um, intimate <laughs> uh, as a result of being in this band. But yeah, it's, there's just this mid tempo dream pop that is very much an influence for bands like beach house or something that, I, I strongly love as I've gotten older and maybe this is some people would just see like, Oh, this is a band that kind of stays in one lane at the whole time. And it's 
got that consistent sound and feel and maybe it goes in one year and out the other for some people as being like no this is almost too wistful and pleasant and nothing really stands out but i love it i think i love the mood and atmosphere and certainly her vocals um and i know they're always going to be mostly known for their cover of wild horses by the Mm -hmm. rolling stones especially if they've seen the movie fear with marky mark and reese withers so let me fucking out (laughs) but they were hugely influenced by the smiths and they just sort of tapped into a sound that I still love to this day. I guess I already said what, you know, the genre kind of being like dream pop, but I remember hearing the song love on the radio and sort of going, what is this? I I need to track this down. And this might've been my first exposure to a sound like this with those jangly guitars and layered Mm. vocals. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I don't know. I mean, maybe this band connects with me in the same way that Mojave three does for Dan, but I, I, you know, they were just sort of devoid of ambition and they even admitted it to like, it's like, we don't really want to do anything crazy. We're just doing this one sound and sticking with it. We're going to make three records and then we're done. And that, that was, that, that was pretty much this band and this album is a nice representation of their strengths. So, um, the Sunday's blind is my number 10 for sure. Nice. Yeah. It's a good band. It's a good band. I wish they were still, yeah, making records, but it's okay that they didn't. (laughs) That album in particular really holds up, by the way. Yeah, it's lovely. Very, very listenable. Yeah, for sure. And it's a great cover of that Rolling Stone song, too. Yeah. All right. We got number nine. Number nine. At number nine, I've got What's the 411 by Mary J. Blythe. in my runners up as well yeah that's just such a wild record to realize it came out in 1992 because everything on it feels like it's like four years ahead of i mean it is four years ahead of its time you've got the (laughs) puff daddy production there's like a guest spot from buster rhymes years before buster rhymes would have a, a solo career um and yeah, like the the whole sound, the whole vibe of it, where you've got these, you know, hip hop beats, um, but she's singing like that over them with that voice. Uh, they're really, yeah, like it, it. It's like a like you can tell like everything before that album and afterward is just from a different world. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. It has a new jack swing feel to it, right? Because like I was, I was all about the new Jack City soundtrack for when that came out. I think that might have been yeah. 91. Yeah, it's it's hmm. it's yeah, like you can kind of you can tell that like we're not too far off from Boys to Men when this came out. Right, right. But also it's spinning that forward in in such a way that like you couldn't go back to that afterward. Hmm. No, that's a good call. Yeah. Again, I it's a record that um I think I went back to pretty early on when I knew we were going to do this and I went, yeah, this is this is really solid and I think I respond more strongly to other records that she's done, but no, you're, it, it's, it's a great choice. And I think people should 
pretty much listen to anything she's done, right? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, she's a legend, but yeah, yeah, I mean, to realize, you know, how it started, and it's all these, you know... Yeah, it's a debut, how right? When this record came out, like, 21, like, all these kids just making this this record together. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Excellent. All right, let's keep it moving. What about your number nine, Jason? But uh, my number nine is... um, a compilation uh, called uh, Artificial Intelligence um, on, uh, on on Warp, Warp Records. Um, Got to be one of the most like famous electronic compilations that has that's probably ever been ever been made. Um, oh, Aphex Twins on it, right? Yep. Of course. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> It's like one of the. It's like one of the very first. It's got a, a couple claims uh, to fame. It's like uh, it's like one of the very first like Warp Records per- period. Um, so it's like one of the first first albums on on that on that label. Um, then yes, it has a it has an Apex Twin track. It's uh, he's uh, under the name, the Dice Man. I I, I think is his moniker on on that. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, it's the very first the album opener, and it's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, it's its main sort of uh, it's kind of main claim to fame though is it's like it's like more or less the first um, like Autecker releases. Uh, Autecker have two have two tracks on on, on that compilation. Hmm. They they had had one single for previous the year before I think. It's like pretty much the first Autecker tracks. Um, but th- this this album is like uh pro- probably a unfortunate moniker but this this is the the album that uh that the term intelligent dance music uh this is was was you know hmm. better known as IDM like it was so th- this is the first this is the first IDM record it's pretty much uh you know slated as as creating that genre and uh and so, and to think that this is in '92 is like a pretty, pretty good illustration of that it's like entirely, highly kind of like ahead of its, uh, ahead of its time. Pretty, you know, because a lot, you know, most of the rest of that would kick in the late late '90s, you know. So, um, but it was like I picked this because I just felt like it was like it's like the perfect illustration of like where electronic music was like in that particular moment like it's like it's like and it's like sort of a unique it's like kind of a it's kind of kind of a, a unique flavor it's like so it's because it's like on one hand uh, it's like it's got sort of like um kind of like an acid it's kind of like an 80s like acid techno kind of feel um you know kind of more raw sort of hardware based stuff and then but then then the other hand is kind of more stuff like um like the orb uh, and and what would, you know, be kind of like nineties electronic. I, I call that stuff like progressive electronics or like, so it's got that sort of like cinematic kind of like psychedelic kind of like 
like widescreen kind of kind of feel like seem like a lot of like 90s 90s albums would have um and then even even down to the um the album cover itself and the album cover looks like a looks like something off of um beyond the mind's eye uh, <laughs> it's like a it's an early sort of cgi render like kind of crude like brutalist um i'm sure we put that dvd on in your basement and maybe listen to this or the uh, brief history of ambient collection that i introduced you to <laughs> yeah exactly it's like all that kind of thing and like you know and of course like wasn't nearly hip enough to be getting into that at that time but like oh, that's right, like right. Yeah. The, the, the kind of thing that like you know that you know like that was that time and that was like something that like we we did and it was like a kind of a thing of that time like i don't know it's like i have a real uh sort of warmth towards like a lot of the sort of 90s kind of electronica and this album in particular is a particularly good one so worth checking out yeah i i recognize it so i must have listened to it i just don't have a strong memory of it i'll have to go back i'm curious because yeah fx twin is hit and miss for me but when he hits he really hits so mm-hmm. me too actually yeah yeah I'm, I'm i'm curious i'll have to go back and listen to this collection uh for my number nine so how i was introduced to this band is a little bit of a weird story and i'm going to bleep out the last name of this person in case he ever hears <laughs> this which i doubt he will but right. do you do either of you recall the name of someone who i was friends with very very briefly his name was steve yeah oh yeah oh yeah so He's he's one of the few folks from high school that I wouldn't track down because we had this intense falling out when yeah. I started loving Nirvana and Green Day. Oh right, because he thought those bands were ruining and destroying punk rock and its purity and all that stuff, turning into a commercial mainstream success for the masses. You know, he was one of those original punks, and. Uh, <laughs> Just, wild how important that stuff seems. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's just like, you're a poser all the time <laughs> at me after a while. But it's weird because before before that happened, he was kind enough to make me a couple of mixtapes. And one of them, hmm. yes, had a lot of punk music on it. But interspersed were two songs called Spider and Guitar by a band called They Might Be Giants. I'm having a heart attack I'm having a heart attack I'm having a heart attack I'm having a heart And it's like he was a huge fan of this band just like he was, you know, the Misfits or whatever, right? <laughs> You know, it was just a crazy mixtape that he made for me. Um, so right. I remember telling him, yeah, I like some of the punk stuff, but honestly, this band, They Might Be Giants, is totally my jam. It's totally my sense of humor. It's totally my, like, what, like, the absurdity, the surrealism, just the kind of gopher-broke nature of whatever they do what the whatever they're doing with spider and guitar <laughs> I, I mean like there are moments in each of those songs i'm like what are they doing what's with those trumpets and guitar just like blaring <laughs> i'm like what and they're not even in the same key as the song <laughs> Yeah. 
all right, what is this? That was just kind of my reaction at the time. But I'm I'm very grateful that I that I discovered Apollo 18. Um, around that time, it might it probably was 93 or 94 to be honest. Uh, but still, this record I do have to give it credit because it made me want to start making my own strange, subversive, absurd comedy songs. And as you recall, I did. <laughs> but a yeah. lot, a lot, a lot stranger at times, and sometimes just screaming out obscenities or weird random things that I just thought of off the top of my head, even if they didn't make any sense. But I do have, uh, I do have memories of trying to memorize the entirety of the song fingertips with Denny and um, Scott Cotts of all people. But um, so there, yeah, there's no denying that a a couple of the songs in here are just like pure pop, pop rock gems that wouldn't sound like out of place on a fountains of Wayne record or something like that. I think they're that good. Uh, what, you know, but at the same time they get weird and I love that too. So they might be giants, Apollo 18. It has to be on this list for me because it, it meant a lot. He is our hero. Yeah, I'm glad you, you brought that one up. Um, for me at number nine, I've got, or number eight, rather, I've got, uh, the predator by ice cube. Um, so good. Which is, yeah. Like, I don't know, man. Like, if you just go back to those first four ice cube records, like he is the baddest man on the entire planet. (laughs) I just, I mean, it's so wild to listen to like those. He put out a record every single year for four years. They're all perfect. They're all like super intense and scary. And the, like the way that he went from that to, are we there yet too is just the wildest transformation. And now he's, I think a little bit Trumpy and uh, don't like to talk about what happened to, to ice cube these days, but the predator is just nonstop. Like, yeah, I mean, check yourself. It was a good day. Uh, Yeah. I mean, mugs from Cypress Hill does production. Like it just sounds incredible. Um, and that. yeah, like this is this is number three of those four, and I think it's probably my favorite one. No, I, I listened to this a lot when it first came out, and I mean, yeah, it was a good day. It was just everywhere, like everybody was playing. Oh, yeah, I even saw the lights of the Goodyear blimp, and it went ice cubes on pimp. Drunk as hell, but no going up. Halfway home, and my page is still blowing up. Today I didn't even have to use my AK. I gotta say it was a good. I mean, if that's still like a, you know, just a, a, a perfect single, like the remix or the original, um, you know, I mean, this is the record that gave us it's on like Donkey Kong. So, uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you, can, you can never take that away from him, no matter how uh, anti-Semitic he may be these days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Never, never have heroes, guys. Never uh, have heroes. No, I know. I've, I've learned that more and more over time. <laughs> yeah, <for sure>. right. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, this is in my honorable mentions as well. <laughs> this was the hardest list to make, I think, out of all the ones so, uh, I've done. 
really yeah this stuff like one thing i want to say about 1992 (laughs) having looked at it is that like this is this year is such a vibe shift Mm -hmm. like everything before feels like the 80s and everything after feels like the 90s and this is just Mm -hmm. like that flashpoint of you know, you, you some of the stuff on this on the, that came out this year. You're like, wait, that was that, that came out that early, or that came out that late. Like, it just it's such a like it is the flashpoint right. of these two really different, like really strong identities, and that's true in in hip hop. It's true in rock. It's true just across the board. Well said. Yeah. Like, I don't really listen to this that much these days, um, but I certainly have in my life. But anyway, my number eight is uh, a little earthquake, little earthquakes by Dory Amos, um, which, which uh, probably I, I you know I flirted with putting it, my my number my scoring is almost like slightly arbitrary. Like there's not really really hard and fast. I, I almost bumped it up higher because like I think it's a it's a it's a pretty damn impressive uh, debut, and it's a and it's a pretty you know it's it's an iconic album, and there's no there there's no and especially if you were alive in the '90s, like there, there's just no real arguing arguing that. Um, and then you know, and so like you know, and and I was like, so I was weighing back and forth because like I don't really I don't really listen to this this too much like the, these days, and like you know, I've listened to you know probably. You know, many thousands of hours of Toriamos in my life, and you know it's probably, you know, kind of been there, done that a little bit. But like, so I was debating it, but I was looking at it, and but like, strictly for her, like piano playing alone, I think that it's worth like in- including. Like, it's, it's just, she's a classical, you know, like and like classically trained pianist, and you know, and that and the fact that there's that mixed with like she's like writing songs. Like, these like, songs are so good. They're good too, right? She's like classic, like she like she's a classical like musician. She's like a great songwriter, and then and then like and then, and then like and it's just hey hey I must hate to use this word, but it's like important. It's like it's important. Absolutely. Like I, I would I would say that this is an important like feminist record, and like and like I certainly know that this record was like super important to a lot of like feminists in the nineties, you know, myself included and probably you guys as well. Like, and then, and then I don't know if you guys ever actually went with me or not, but like, I, I started, I started, I started seeing her pretty early on too. So like not quite this early, but not quite, not very long after. So like by 93, like, so when, by when, like, um, you know, uh, under the pink came out. Like I, I started see, so, so I was like seeing her, like when, like a lot of these songs were pretty new, you know? And so like, you know, and again, and again, I was like, I was going back and I hadn't heard it in a little while. And like, there's like, there's like songs on here. There's like singles. And, you know, so I was like, you know, it opens right up with like crucify, which is an absolutely, it's just a great song. Why do we crucify? 
I mean, it just, these are, yeah, th- this is a timeless record. I, I yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it's timeless, except that the drum sound is so 80s that, like, I wish she, you know, I wish she would do the Taylor Swift thing and just re-record them all. Oh, that'd be, that's a good idea. It's just yeah. a little bit hard. Like, you hear that, like, reverb for Miles' drum sound, you're like, oh, this is so good. And it, eventually, stop noticing it, but if you sure. revisit it for the first time in a while... That the the certain eighties production was was something that did sort of stand out to me, which I actually found I actually found slightly charming. This this, this listen around just because like I don't, I don't necessarily listen to like a lot of music from like the sort of like late eighties early nineties like all that often. So it's it's kind of it's kind of novel. Um, uh, you know, uh, so it was a, yeah. So aesthetic and production level, I appreciated it. And then again, like you know, important sort of feminist, you know, feminist album and, and, and themes and like, um, and then I would say like that and that, and I guess that's a, you know, the final thought on that. It was just probably the only reason like I don't necessarily, like I don't necessarily oh, God, like, pull yeah. this out all that often. Cause it's just a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a heavy listen. Like it's, it's a, it's a downer. Like it's a, it's a, you know, and you know, this is pretty heavy. Like, yeah, pretty pretty heavy stuff on there, and it's a you know, it's kind of a yeah. So it's it's kind of again another another pretty pretty dark one, but like, but you know, uh, and I'm sure you, know, you guys probably had your experiences too. But like, I, I am grateful for like that. I don't know. It opened my eyes to some pretty important topics and like experiences that like I was probably not yet aware of as a as a a young you know teenage boy and was you know probably probably helped helped you know slide me onto that path and paying attention to stuff like that and so yeah that's my number eight yeah i mean liz ferris came out a couple years later Mm. than this but this was i mean i don't know if i listened to this in 92 or not Sure. sure but i certainly when I first heard, it, I was really taken with it, and I still am to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I remember <laughs> I remember being way more obsessed, at least in this year, with Jane Cyberry. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like I don't I don't know if it was you know just the Crow soundtrack, or I don't know how that. Oh, Crow was a couple years later too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting my years mixed up, but I think yeah. no, this one. Is, is still strong and going back to it, I'm still really moved by it, but I, I do agree. The reason why it's in my honorable mentions is that the, the production doesn't strike me in the same way that it, her work on under the pink and from the choir girl hotel, like the, both those records work for me a little bit more strongly than this one, but this is like such an assured debut. It's true. You know, it's pretty you know, impressive. It, like her, yeah. her voice is just there. Right. <laughs> right? the songs are, are perfect too like i don't know this is yeah this is on my list and and i just think the songs are are fantastic like i don't think yeah. she ever put out another collection of songs just front to back this good i would agree i would agree with that and now for something completely different mm-hmm. 
I don't think this is as shocking as putting System of a Down on my list, but um, I mentioned another name from high school. I'll bring up another. When I say the name Jim Hiddle, what do you think? Well, there is a particular band he always wore a shirt of, and and it wasn't oh, and it was yeah. and it wasn't necessarily a band that you would associate me with or think like, oh, I could totally see, you know, sensitive Jim being into Faith No More, <laughs> but um, you did like I, them. I, I've always liked them. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it was just simply like seeing that video for Epic and being into that style sure. and thinking like, all right, well. I don't know if I love the Red Hot Chili Peppers that much, but I do love what Phase No More is doing. Sure. Um, and I know they were like coined funk metal and hated that. So this was kind of like their response to people calling their band funk metal. And they're like, well, we're going to get really insane in the studio and get more theatrical and operatic and, you know, just weird. They just got really weird on this album at times. Um, I mean, they've always, they've always embraced yeah, you know, screaming and metal and, you know, that type of style. But, um, like, yeah, there's just a weird use of falsetto. There's a, the cheerleaders screaming, be aggressive, be, be aggressive on this record. Like, there's just a lot of weird detours that they do, you know, and they they covered the theme from Midnight Cowboy and Easy by the Commodores. You know, it's just, they did a lot of weird things at this time because they didn't want to be pigeonholed. And I sort of respect them more and more as I've gotten older and I think this record still holds up pretty strongly for me. I mean, again, it does feel, you know, it's kind of a nice summation of what Dan was saying about being a bridge, like a really huge transition transitionary year in terms of like, I mean, I think certainly a band like living color might've been before this or maybe around this time, but just the, the, the talk rap vocals and the primal screams and just Mike Patton being this insane front man, I, I don't know. I, I still am really impressed by not just his approach to being a front man uh, and putting himself in the mix this way, but just his I mean, vocal delivery is just really unique. And yet he can sing really well. Uh, and just, like there's catchy melodies in some of these songs, like A Small Victory or... Um, Midlife Crisis. I think I think a small victory is the song that's officially sold me on the band, and I remain a fan to this day. And it's the last with guitarist Jim Martin, who really defined their sound for this and the record, the real thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, like Patton obviously didn't want to be compared to Anthony Kiedis, and who would? Um, but <laughs> I think like overall this this record is is really interesting and it's sort of a early deconstruction of the american dream in a song like uh midlife crisis although i think he even said at the time like the song is mainly about madonna but <laughs> I don't, there's a lot of interesting things going on they're a band that sort of threw everything against the wall and most of it sticks for me 
and plus this was just unlike anything I'd ever heard and clearly this went on to influence bands like System of a Down without a doubt so like faith no more at all no i never have i've never listened like i've I've listened to them and it's never stuck for me i Mm. i respect how like interesting and ambitious mike Patton is um but everything he's on i like less than the things he's not on like i didn't like the record he did where he was the singer for dillinger escape plan i don't like the songs he did with handsome boy modeling school like (laughs) Mike on a record makes me like it less I am um, agree I to disagree on this one. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. That's okay. to rip your yums here, but you asked. <laughs> I, and uh, I've honestly like, um, I've just, I, I've never really listened to faith no more a whole heck of a lot to, 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 to be fair. Um, I think what, what I'm struck with and what I was like, what I've been sitting over here thinking is just uh, kind of, I feel like you see it a few, but like, this particular year, like this, like, and like that particular album, like this is like a particular time. Like it would not happen any other time. Like it's pretty bonkers that that record is like, was like a mainstream, like successful, like popular. It's like you say, Jim, like it's got, they got a lot of ideas. They got a lot of things that they're they're trying (laughs) and like, they're just yeah, they're really going for it, and like to think that that was like because because like like you say or like I remember people like wearing their t-shirts at school and shit, and like you know and like there were the fact that some of this such bizarre music was actually like relatively mainstream is like so, some of the things like I'm I just love that I just love that like that there was such a, a risk taking and kind of like a just like in anything kind of goes like at this particular, cause like, this is like, just like the time that the year, be, I, you know, I'd say, that, you know, like not, I don't know the exact moment, but like 93 is like when grunge and like the alternative kind of like broke, you know, like everything kind of went like above ground and yeah, no like, doubt about that. Yeah. Kind of like the last little moment where it was like, kind of just like really bizarre and kind of, well, this is this is a truly bizarre band. I won't deny that. Like, I mean, I gosh, I don't even think I said the name of the record. Now that I think about it, it's Angel Dust. By yeah. the way. <laughs> I was just so I like I have to defend my love of this band, but uh, no, I mean, I I don't know. It's one of those kind of anomalies, like in terms of yeah, I don't know if I can necessarily always put into words why a certain band or a collection of songs works on me or gives me goosebumps. It just happens. You know, like sometimes that's why I'm like, should I be podcasting about the things I love when sometimes it's just hard to say why I love them? (laughs) But here here we are. Here we are. And that's, hey, what can I say? Faith No More, they rock. They, I, I, I think the majority of the records they put out are really interesting. So. Let's move I really forward. like their aesthetics as well. Like their 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 the look of their their releases is always, yeah, no, totally. Point. 
also. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, um, at number, number seven, seven me, yep. I've got uh, Little Earthquake, so we can, Brad. Uh-huh. we can move on. Excellent, excellent. Cool. All right. Uh, all right. Oh, yeah. Um, so my number seven. And um, so this is, uh, I guess, just like the tiniest of little like intro to this in, in that to say that it's, it's not necessarily a band that like, I've listened to like a, a ton, ton. Like I don't listen to this band like every day or anything, but like it was – it was a couple of years ago. It was like when I was, I was, you know, I was already living here in Portland and they, they came out with like a deluxe reissue of this or something. And like, I, I must've, I, I was like contemplating, I must've been like planning on writing something about it. I don't think I ever did get around to it, but like, um, I like listened, I like, I like listened to this album like dozens and dozens of times. So it's like on my, my last FM account, like there's like this, like, ridiculous spike for this particular record like it's like so anyway my, my number seven is uh pavement slanted and enchanted um uh that'll be coming up later for me when you treat it like an oil well when it's underground out of sight and if the side is just a horse sign can it make enough sense to me? Pretend the table is a trust knot. We'll put our labels down. As far as the influence and impact on like 90s indie rock, like you just can't really like overlook this particular record. Like, you know, and like I kind of, and like that's some of my favorite music from that, from this like era, you know, but like nineties indie was like, you know, it's kind of some of my favorite shit. Um, and like pavement were kind of like the iconic, you know, like, you know, they're kind of like the pro, you know, the, 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 you know, the prototype, like nineties, like, um, nineties indie band. But like that being said, like they don't like, they don't have quite as many of the, the, like all of the shortcomings of like, uh, of some of the bands like that. So I would say for one thing, it's like they do in fact actually have melodies, like not all the time and a ton, but like, but like, like some of the, like the, the guitar playing was like pretty melodic and pretty like, like catchy and like kind of, kind of hooky. And like, um, you know, like there, there's like some, some real, like kind of like song craft, like kind of like, it's not just like kind of dirgy, like droning. Although Lord knows I, listen to plenty of that stuff too. When does Jason have a problem with dirty drums? I know, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys think I'd be replaced by a communist imposter or something. Well, and like, um, and, and, and that's like, and I was, I was almost going to make, I have a joke about it too. It was like, it's, with like pavement, it's like, you get the feeling like, like Stephen Malcolmus like could sing in tune. He just doesn't care enough. Like they don't just, they just don't care enough to be in tune. Like they're right. just like, mm-hmm. they're like, eh, whatever like melody they're just like so unbelievably slack that it's like kind of like awe inspiring to me almost and like they're kind of always that way too like you know they just kind of have this like dgaf uh uh at like vibe to like their music and attitude that like i just i, I 
I enjoy that. I, I particularly like that. Um, oh, and then kind of like the last thing, and always the the main like claim to fame or with pavement, but is is there the guitarist though? And like, um, mm-hmm. this shit's thick. Like the guitarists sound excellent on on this on this this al this album. And it was like, and that was another reason why I had to include it was because like I felt like it was like that sort of like um that sort of like dinosaur junior style kind of like all indie grunge kind of like shoegazer adjacent kind of stuff that was like kind of coming out in that that era like um that Alice in Chains record actually has that has sort of a similar vibe too just like really like thick distorted guitars and so yeah that was like some truly truly exceptional uh like guitar solos and stuff and Oh, and there's like some actual songs on here too. Like there's like, uh, it's the album opener, but like album, the song Summer Babe with the very, the very first one uh, is uh, just like catchy. It's just like a nice, uh, it's a, especially since the, it's, it's a nice like early summer kind of, kind of just jam, like a nice, like kind of have the window open, kind of like, like walk around or drive around or like, I found, uh, blasting about it too but like they i think they were from all over but they're like um but they're they're, they're, they're like a california band and uh and they're long beach maybe some somewhere kind of in it anyway I, i've been really into like a lot of like california like music and and art like in the past few years or whatever and pavement are like kind of the like quintessential kind of like socal like indie rock to, to me so i got kind of that sort of that feeling to him yeah. as well yeah that makes complete sense to me right and they're they've the more i listen to them the more they're growing for me uh-huh. because at the time especially in the mid 90s i was almost like completely indifferent when they would come on or when people would say oh i love pavement i'd be like really yeah <laughs> right so but it's taken me this long really to sort of see their genius mm-hmm. and uh yeah the more i listen to this record the more it's becoming a favorite in a lot of ways and i can tell you more when i get to my placement of it mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah um i know i i know my number 7 choice i mean even dan just said it at the beginning like this there are probably objectively better records that have come out in 1992. Sure. But guys, do you think it'd be all right if I could just crash here tonight? <laughs> this is a good record. I don't, I, I apologize. <laughs> to, uh, I had to contain my laughter. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, this is a good record. Like I, I really like, I, I, I still listen to this record. Um, it's Yeah. The I, I skipped the Zydeco song, but uh, um, sure, no, yeah, I get it. Tell me, do you think you'd be all right? If I could just crash here tonight, you could see I'm no sheep for driving, and anyway, I've got no place to go. It's you know, it might not be that bad. You were the best I'd ever had. If I hadn't blown the whole thing years ago, I may not be but. Gin Blossom's New Miserable Experience. Anyone 
who knows me knows I love a solid power pop record, and that's, you know, why you'll probably always find a Matthew Sweet or a Fountains of Wayne cracking my list. But, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's almost perfect. It's almost. Yeah. <laughs> but Skip the Zydeco song, and it really is, like, as good as that genre gets. Yeah. I mean, they're just a band that I immediately clicked with. Again, like, the moment I heard Hey Jealousy, I'm like, I need this in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like just that melodic alternative rock with, you know, heart on the sleeve, bruised romanticism. And it's just, it, it's hard not to recognize that this is also pretty dark. I mean, God, the principal songwriter took his own life, you know, right after album sales skyrocketed. Yeah. Pretty early on. Yeah. It's awful. I mean, Sad, yeah. Ugh. And I just, Robin Wilson, Robin Wilson's voice is just smooth. It's there's such mm. ease to it. There's no, there's no pretension. It's just like effortlessly in tune and very sincere. And, you know, the songwriting is very warm and, and, and relatively straightforward. Like it is mainly verse chorus verse, but it's never boring either. There's really inventive guitar playing here throughout. It's a very consistent sounding album with enough variation of ballads and rockers, you know, to make it stand out. It's just ear candy. You know, I think at the same time though, and that's probably why I do love Matthew sweet so much is that there's a dark undercurrent to the lyrics or, you know, there's a lot of longing and depression going on in, in some moments, even if the songs themselves sound kind of joyful, but I don't know. A lot of the records I go back to are often a little sad and bleak and dark and this mm. this one definitely has moments of that, but it's got that pure pop rock sweetness to it, to where it's like, oh yeah, you can see why so many bands gravitated tour- towards this sound, or at the very least, brought them on tour <laughs> with them all over. Um, it's just it, it it still resonates with me, and I mean, they they even had like maybe it's I don't know like a half dozen other great songs after this, like till I hear it from you or uh, follow you down. Like there's just really good singles on this album too, but you know, afterwards <sighs> diminishing returns, or at least they, they didn't, I think losing their principal songwriter clearly. Yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, that makes complete sense. And it's sad. It's very sad because maybe they would have kept making songs like, Hey, jealousy, uh, you know, or till I hear from you or follow you down or whatever. But you have to wonder like how good, like, would he be Alex Chilton? You know, would he be oh, like, yeah. like, like legends? Um, and you know, the fact that this, I think this record kind of gets short shrift um, because it's such a product of its time because it, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like you hear it and you can kind of like, it's great, but if you don't pay a lot of attention to it, you could kind of confuse them with the band that did like the Friends theme song or something. You know, like they're just they're of a of a genre and of a moment that doesn't get a whole lot of respect. It's the same thing with Counting Crows, who I think are also you know remarkable songwriters. Um, but you know, there's just this kind of, there's kind of a cheesiness to it to like this specific ninety two ninety three pop rock that uh, I think comes with a little bit of undeserved stigma. Um, and I apologize yeah. for what I said in the intro, reinforcing that stigma. <laughs> no, that's definitely true. It's like Semi Sonic kind of getting lumped as just the band that did closing time when there's so much more. 
than yeah. that, you know. But uh, yeah, no, this is this is a great record for me still to this day. And you know, any any time when you do straightforward power pop done right in the yeah in that in that big star vein, it's just I'm automatically on board. It's just just a little sad story to go with this album too. That maybe just makes it a little bittersweet in general. Yeah. So we can keep it on moving. All right. Yeah. Number six, I've got rage against the machine by rage against the machine. Never Good heard of it. For, uh, self-titled, uh, debut metal albums. Um, yeah. I mean, talk about a record that feels so far ahead of its time. Like, I mean, the fact that, like, rap rock didn't really happen except for Rage Against the Machine yeah, until 1999. <laughs> like, it took the rest of music seven years to figure out, like, oh, we're allowed to do this, too. Um, it's pretty amazing. Like, yeah, this is, I don't know, like, I, I, you know, was pretty into this record in high school and then, like, never stopped, you know, never took it fully out of rotation, but really got back into it in 2020. Uh, and man, like this is such an education for a certain kind of teenager who wasn't going to be confronted with any of these ideas outside <laughs> of like the idiom of aggressive rock music. Good point. Um, yeah. Like this is, this is, this record, you know, just everything about it, like it's heavy as fuck. Yeah. Um, you know, like, Zach Delarocha isn't a great rapper or a singer, um, but he's such a good frontman. Right. Like, totally. like just, and you know, and, and the, I don't know how old he was. He must've been pretty fucking young when this record came out. Yeah. Um, Cause he just seems like he is possessed with like this nervy energy. Um, yeah. Yeah. What a, what a record. Yeah. I still remember where I was when I saw the, the video for freedom and at the end, he's just screaming at the top of his lungs. And I'm like, holy shit, what is yeah. this? Yeah. And obviously Tom Morello. Good Lord. Yeah. One of the all-time greatest guitarists yeah. of our lifetime. Yeah, really yes. Great. Yes. <laughs> yes. I... Yeah, I can't say enough good things about him. I've seen him play. I saw him play by himself. I've seen him play. Oh, I saw him play with Springsteen once. Oh, no. um, oh wow! Uh, and yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's like rock and roll dad. Like he is the <laughs> sure. everything. Everything flows from him. Everything that came after flows from him, guitar wise. Yeah, totally definitely in my agree. honorable mentions. Uh, I'm. I'm I, yeah, I should I, I should go back and revisit those early Rage records and see if I still click with them because I certainly did at the time. Yeah, there's oh. only four. Easy to catch up. Kicks ass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? All right, what's number six? Okay, you? and mine. It's like so. Um, my my number six is um, uh, "Sleep's Holy Mountain" by by Sleep. Um, Ooh, a band I don't know, I don't think. Oh, you don't know Sleep. Okay. Um, they, uh, I know the activity. I don't know if I know the band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. They, um, yeah, well, they kind of like, you know, the, like, stoner, I, I would say, like, sort of stoner slash doom metal. Like, they pretty much, like, reinvigorated, kind of, like, relaunched, kind of, like, 
stoner doom and like unbelievable like how influential like this is like i was like looking at it and it's like it's like 20 years of like metal like history and like influence on this because like uh, i was like listening to it and thinking about how how like a band like the sword or something like that like like simply would not have happened where we're not for these dudes were like the kind of guys who were who, who like sort of like relaunched like the like hey it's cool to like like smoke bongs and like write 20, 20 minute long, you know, <laughs> headbanging, you know, slow headbanging metal songs about wizards and pyramids and shit. And like, um, and oh, yeah, well, frankly, I, yeah, that, you, you had me at, at pyramids and wizards. Like I, I like, I, I cannot ever like get tired of, um, of that sort of thing. And like, they're particularly, they're particularly good at it. Um, Oh, uh, Jim, just so you say you're not, you're not uh, familiar with them or whatever, but like, or, or you might not be, but um, sleep is, um, they've since got back together, I think, but they have, um, they would go on to split into, uh, so like, uh, high on fire. So, so sleep was, oh, was uh, high, on fi- high on fire plus um, the band Ohm. I don't, I don't know if you know Ohm at all. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, I do. I, I was thinking, I, I was thinking they're a little bit like uh, Caius. Is that how you say it? Yeah, they're on my honorable mentions thing too. Yeah, Caius. To, yeah, totally. Exactly. They're like Caius, but the Caius is uh, but slower, like more on the Sabbath, uh, on the Sabbath tip, you know, and that sort of kind of just headbang, you know, kind of trancey, kind of headbanging. Um, uh, yeah, but it's, it's it was the the Ohm was the was the rhythm section from that band, and then um, and and then Matt Pike from High on Fire was probably the singer. Um, yeah, really, really um, fantastic. And, and, and this particular track one is um, not quite as their, their uh, main claim to fame was later, a few years later, is an album called Jerusalem, which is uh, one, hmm. which is one, one song, which is like fifty minutes long. Um, <laughs> wow. th- th- this is that. This is that. This is their more approachable version. Like this is like this. This has has actual songs. It's like you know, maybe like seven to 10 minute long, kind of like Sabbath style, kind of just like kind of headbangers. And, um, and, um, yeah, anyway, Sleep's Holy Mountain, highly recommended. So this next one for me is again like I I remember having the cassette I remember sort of being like really into this songwriter and thinking is am I still going to be really into this songwriter if I go back and listen to this album and it's it's it still holds up for me and I don't know how the world feels about it but 
Number six for me is uh, 99.9 Fahrenheit degrees by Suzanne Vega, mm-hmm. which I mean, at the time it was an unexpected turn for her because she'd mainly just been known as this folk songwriter. Yeah. And here she got a little bit more bold, a little more experimental, um, in branching out into electronic sounds Absolutely. for this album. Because I think the reason why I even went to find this record was just like, I hadn't heard this kind of like clanging per- percussion before maybe mm-hmm. on, on anything it's possible. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this, this, it's also a really sexy record. I mean, I think like she has that sort of low key approach to her voice that is very sultry. There's not a lot of reverb. It's, you know, it's very different than someone like Tori Amos in terms of how she approaches music and songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like this intimate warmth to all of her songs that I really respond to. And I get emotionally connected with her song, with her sound. And this album finds her to be a little bit more comfortable and not just like, I'm just going to play songs on the acoustic guitar. She decides to like bringing in some interesting producers and work with like the bassist for Elvis Costello and, Mm. you know, just, just try to work with different people this time. And blood makes noise might've been the first single, if I'm not mistaken. And it has these loud layered guitars and synths. And she's singing about this, like ringing in her ears. And some people actually, thought this song was about AIDS at the time, but it's, it's actually about a trip to the doctor that she took after having a panic attack. And honestly, that's kind of what, you know, it it kind of feels like is that your heart and your blood are making this music that you can't understand. (laughs) Like it's just overwhelming. There's this whole rhythm to your heart. There's this like feeling that, Oh no, I'm, I can't handle my body and my mind right now. It's too noisy. Mm. So like this song really actually works even more strongly for me now having experienced anxiety, but mm. like, again, this like, this is really influenced by eighties new wave. And yet it, I don't think it has that dated cheesy synth sound. I mean, maybe again, like we've talked about, it does sound like it's perfectly in the middle between the eighties and the nineties, you know, but yet it's, mm. to me, it sounds timeless at the same time. Mm. Um, you know, and you have a song like in Liverpool, which is, you know, her more stripped down style or the song blood sings, which is again, kind of the niche that she sort of built her sound around. So Mm -hmm. you, you have like her familiar sound here, but just mixed in with these mishmashes of anvil banging industrial, like electronic music here and there, especially with the title track and blood makes noise. Mm -hmm. And that really just surprised me and actually made me really excited for this approach to songwriting because I hadn't heard it before when I first heard it. And mm-hmm. I think there are really interesting songs that tell a story or they're from a, a different character's point of view, point of view, not just her. Mm-hmm. And she often portrays romantic love as this contagious fever that is right in line with Peggy Lee's take, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on desire. But yeah. No, I just, I don't know. There's just something about her, you know, that I can see people just going, eh, you know, she's fine. And I I can see people having that response to her, but I've always really loved Suzanne Vega from the moment I heard Luca. And again, that's a song that's very, 
80s. That's a, you hear that song. That's that, the production on that. Yeah, you know exactly when that song was made. Hmm. But for me, most of 99.9 Fahrenheit degrees does sound timeless in its approach, and especially with experimentation. Uh, so. I was tempted to. Um, I was. I was to include uh, 99.9 degrees myself. Like I, yeah, I was. I was like I was on the fence, and I, I definitely think that that is a cool record, and and I feel like it. I, I just I'm just not sure like a lot of people know about it at, at, at this point. Like I don't. I'm I'm just not really aware of its like influence at this. Um. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I, I I agree with you. I think it's I think it's really like forward forward thinking and kind of unique and. Number five for me is the chronic by Dr. Dre. Um, wow. You know that, see, that's the thing. This is the only time I feel like I'm completely on the outside where even back then I was like, I just don't get it. It's I, I never got Dr. Dre's solo work. I understand like how important this album is. <laughs> like it, it tapped into a zeitgeist and it's, you know, it's huge for so many people, huge. And it was everywhere. It has it never did much for me. Put the windows down and driven around really slowly listening to it. <laughs> no, I'll give it a try though. Give that a try. That is the environment for it. It's like <laughs> saying, Oh, I listened to Elliot Smith at the beach and it didn't do it for me. Like, well, <laughs> so <laughs> give it a try. This one's on my honorable mentions myself. Um, Shit fucking rules. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, there there really is nothing. I mean, there's a million things like it because everybody tried to do it afterward. Um, but there was nothing like it. Like, yeah, I mean, just how cool this record is. Just like, I mean, it's reprehensible. Like, there's so much on this record that is so deeply offensive. Um, and, you know, just like, if you listen to it with any sort of conscience, you're like, oh my god, <laughs> but yeah it is uh it is still as cool as hell and it sounds perfect like yeah it is made to be played in the car it is not a record to listen to on headphones it's not a record to listen to at, i mean a cookout's a good place for it too but outdoors for sure the something about the way the bass travels it's perfect mm. oh geez all right i'll give it another try I don't know why. Just it's something just never clicked with me with 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 Dre. And I, I again, like it could just be how I listened to it, or I just sort of like dismissed it even back then. And I was like, I probably am not going to like it. But then again, I've changed so much, and I, my mind is way more open. <laughs> so you probably, like it. you probably like it now, to be honest. Like, yeah, I wouldn't tiny. be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Just as a, I should listen a fan to of music, like of of music right. production, you know, like. Right. Every song has like three, four, five samples that 
all come together to create something new. Like it really, it, it, you know, there, there are records that used sampling like uh, Paul's boutique or something where it's a collage of a thousand sounds and it creates one thing because of it. These are, these are all collages of three things that create something really different than any of them. It's just a really different approach to making, uh, mm. making beats and to producing records. And then, you know, like Snoop is on pretty much every song. Like Dr. Dre knew that he wasn't a great rapper uh, and never like had no ego about it, which is really interesting to me. And so, you know, you've got Snoop who is just oozing charisma on this record. Like he never, he'll, you know, he sounds great on doggy style and he sounds good pretty much all the time, but like he never sounded better than when he was 19 years old and just rapping, you know, with like pure love and joy on this record. Um, so yeah, I'd be curious what you think of it. If you, if you revisit it outdoors, I, will. I definitely will. I go for walks on the beach. I mean, I am listening on headphones though. Um, but I, I will still, I will, I will happily listen to it again. I just, again, I kind of went, maybe this just was never for me. So I never went back to it or gave it a second chance. And I should. I think just the way that it sounds will hit you regardless of if you, like, I don't think you'll connect with the material, but the way that it sounds, I think you'll be like, holy shit, how did I miss this? He did produce a track on The Fragile, I recall, that I liked. He has yeah. a he has a mixing credit. Oh, mixing credit. Oh, okay. Man, yeah. I got mixes like crazy. Oh my god. Yeah. It's a fucking genius. Oh my god. Um, I, I will say just a quick interjection to say, Jim, I listened to this album about two days ago, and shit really holds up. Peter Gabriel's "Us" uh, is my, is my number five. Um, that's my and, number uh, eleven. You, yeah, that's my my. <laughs> that's my top honorable mention. Yeah, and yeah, it uh, and it was just like looking at the albums like coming out in ninety two and just uh, just like listening to stuff and you know I'm not entirely sure if it's possible to like completely separate uh, autobiography from critical assessment i don't even know if like that's something you should try to do like because it's such a part of how we listen to music and stuff and but um secret um is the live album for this album peter gabriel's secret world live was like super 
like influential in like early teenage years, probably even, probably even Jim, I bet even when you were like spending the night and stuff and like, that was a classic, like early, like sleepover record. Like, I don't know, like, yeah, no, definitely. Right. So like, I have a, I have a, you know, a, a sentimental attachment to uh, these songs from secret world live. And then, um, yeah, I listened to, I listened to it at some, like over the years, I never really gave it a sat down, too much of a sit down and like i think it's uh this is an absolutely fantastic record that's like just very much like unlike it feels very different than like anything that would happen like i feel like this record would not be made today like i don't feel like it could be made today like it's there's like this i I was like looking at the different like descriptions or like 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 things that people have written about it and they're saying how it's basically like a sophisticated art rock record about a divorce, like a divorce from like a young, from like a young adult sort of, or like a, even just like a, a, a adult adult. Like it was like Peter Gabriel is like far into his, uh, into his career at this point. Already. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he'd been, he'd been at it quite a bit and that was just like, but this is his like breakup record. Like, um, so, uh, it's like there are like hits on, on on here. Like there's there's some some singles and like I like I like the singles like which ones are uh, like um but there's the the other parts of it are like much more like like slow and somber. Like there's like this like um this like kind of like. S- yeah, again, a kind of a droney, dirgy, you know, somberness to, uh, you know, about half of this record. Um, that uh, yeah, there's a lot of ambient touches. Yeah, like, yeah. I'd, I'd be surprised. I was surprised that Brian Eno had nothing to do with it, right? Right. I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't think he did. I mean, I think that was. I think that's more Peter Gabriel's like touch. Like, I think he's like also a producer, kind of like that. Like, um, oh, and I was just saying, just like last thing about it too. But like, I just like one of the things. It's. I feel like some of the records I picked were like they're like an example of their time, even if like that's not necessarily like like an endorsement of that. Like it's not, it's not, it's not. It's like a reflection of that particular time, but it's not all necessarily good. Um, it's not all necessarily, you know, good or like air quotes good. Like, um, but I was like, I was like kind of cracking up, like listening to this record about like um. Uh, how much, uh, again, air quotes, uh, how much world music is, is on this? <laughs> like, and it just like, and, and it actually, I don't know. I think it's, um, maybe like, no, I don't think, I don't think we're right there yet. I don't like, that's part of why I don't think this record could, would be made now or could be made now. Like, cause it's like, I was like counting in one track. Like there's like, there's like three different continents on like one, at one point there's like, there's like some Indian, like a tambura. And then there's like some, um, some bagpipes and some like, I don't know, he's just like grabbing from all over. Um, and like in a way, which would later go on to be, you know, kind of, um, viewed as, as like kind of, insen- you know, rather insensitive or whatnot. But, um, but then it was, you know, but I was also like, to be completely fair, like, but this is like, this is a, a big, a, 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 a huge stepping stone into like me getting into like 
non-Western music and like music from other parts of the world and kind of getting into like Indian music and a lot of, a lot of African music. I am like a lot of the musicians that he worked with, you know, he wasn't having like, you know, the, some white British guy come in and, and, you know, play the tabla. Like he was bringing in musicians from these cultures, which I think, uh, you know, what makes it so interesting and so authentic and such kind of a remarkable record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul Simon. Paul Simon gets all that credit, you know, for something like Graceland. But I think Peter Gabriel did it as well and strongly, especially with this album. Yeah, and, and maybe in a way that's a little bit more respectful and, and authentic. Yeah, I'd, yeah. And then it, and it is, it is and it's used well, you know. And we could even like step, you know, sociology aside or whatever. It's like the elements are are you know arranged in a tasteful in a tasteful way, and it doesn't it doesn't feel uh over cluttered or uh you know pointless or like and you know and when i'm listening to it and like that's like i i could care less is that, that there's like a tabla and like like a japanese flute or something like that like that is not like sonically that's not really a problem for me so um and and you know and i feel like this is like one of the records like you know and it starts to like kind of bring up some of those questions and um but you know, even beyond that, it's just like there's just like a lot of like good emotional, emotional stuff, like some really good just songs and like um. Yeah, I, I strongly associate this album with um Sherry, Sherry Verway. Mm-hmm. Like this is how we built a friendship was kind of around this album, um, and you know, like I. I was, yeah, I was obsessed with the song love to be loved. And I still am <laughs> to this day. And there's beautiful moments like that and washing of the water, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the weird thing for me, and I guess this, the reason why it wasn't number 10 and, it, and it's not the fault of Peter Gabriel or the album, but I, I always felt like steam was sledgehammer. The sequel <laughs> in terms of video and production. Right. And, I never like I I don't dislike the song either. I just kind of shrug it off as and it feels like an outlier on the album to me. And then I went and I found a different version of it called Quiet Steam. Okay. And I was like, holy crap, this should have been on the album. Like this this would have flowed, it would have been perfect. You know? Um and it's not and it's not to say like steam doesn't belong on us. It's just that I prefer Quiet Steam, and if you haven't heard it, Jay, I'll send it to you. Cause yeah, I haven't. No, that sounds great. Please do. It, it's it's stunning. It's a stunning uh-huh. version of that song where it's like a six minute drone version of Steam. Ah, so, cool. uh-huh. neat. Yeah, but no, it's a great, great album without mm-hmm. a doubt. Mm. And he's making a new one. Did you just what? hear? It? it was just announced. What? He's coming out. He's coming out with a new album after twenty years. Yeah. So how long has it been? That's part of like why I was even looking into it. I was like, man, this dude just is not like put out music. Like he's just like, man, what the fuck? Finally, letting go.
so, hey guys, what's another word for pirate treasure? Why? Well, I think it's booty. <laughs> Jay, do you remember when we went to Lollapalooza together and we sat down during the Beastie Boys set? Yeah, I tell, like, I tell, I tell that story often. We also walked around during the cave. We uh, we had questionable taste. I I don't know what we were thinking. It was a different time, <laughs> different world. Yeah, I mean, I know it was like, okay, we're into the alternative scene. We love the Smashing Pumpkins and the Flaming Lips and all that. So that was like where we gravitate. Oh, the Breeders played. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, that was just, okay, we're just alternative, so now we can't like these other things, whatever they are. But I, yeah, but it's like, it was weird because, you know, a couple years before, I was into hip-hop. You've already done that. Okay, yeah. Uh And it's just like, I don't know why I was just kind of like, I don't care about the Beastie Boys, I just want the Fashion Pumpkins to come on. Sure. But I can't tell you how much I played Check Your Head. I played this record like you wouldn't believe and I, I mean, it's like to the point where I was like, should I really listen to this again? And because maybe it, it, I'm just gonna be like, oh, I, I overplayed in, in the same way that a lot of people did with Paul's Boutique. You know, it was just like, that's all some people played sometimes. It's <laughs> 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 word like they memorized it. I mean, that 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 simple drum beat, those distorted vocals, that choppy organ riff and that three note guitar lick for So What You Want. I mean, come on. Like that just blew my mind back then. And to this day, I'm like, this is such a simple song, you know, but it just makes you feel like the baddest motherfucker around (laughs) like Uh when you're listening to it. Uh And this to me might be my favorite Beastie Boys album. I mean, I know people sing the praises and rightfully so of Paul's Boutique, but I guess there's just something about them implementing live instrumentation and hearkening back a little bit to punk roots and just again, being very experimental in the studio. Like gratitude is feels like a dry run for sabotage, right? you know? Uh, and I still remember when I saw the premiere for the premiere video for past the mic and I went, Oh man, why do I love this so much? I just do. I love this record. And there's like just weird detours. There's instrumentals on here. There's just, Again, and maybe it's just that uh, we talked about with Faith No More or even to some extent with what They Might Be Giants does in Apollo 18. It's just like try everything yeah. and just get weird and do things you wouldn't expect this trio who did License to Ill <laughs> would do. But it does seem like an interesting progression from Paul's Boutique. So it's it's still really amazing to me listening to this record. It's so eclectic and so energetic and it just makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of record. There's a lot of records on the list too that just make me feel good, and that's also true of my number four, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, number five for me is Beastie Boys. Check your head, without Fine a doubt. Choice. Good that's choice. Great record. Um, Indeed. Okay, so from this point on, like 
it's I'm just guessing what order these are in. These are all records that I've listened to a million times. Like I think roughly I'm ranking them based on how many times I've probably listened to them in my life. Uh, but it's all like every one of these is over a hundred. Uh, <laughs> so number four, I've got automatic for the people um, by REM, which, you know, is just, it's my favorite REM record, uh, which makes it pretty high on the list of my favorite records by anybody. Um, yeah, I don't even know. It's like, these are all songs that are just like etched in me. I, it's, it's hard to imagine that there was a time when I didn't know these songs. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. These are just all, all perfect songs for me. Like I, I know, like I can just, if just thinking about it, I can like conjure the place where Michael Stipe laughs in the Sidewinder sleeps tonight. Like, like (laughs) it's all firmly embedded. Like the, the grooves are well-worn inside my brain. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, on another day, like this could be number one easily for me. This is just, yeah, one of the most important things to me, period. How about you, Jason? Number four. Uh, so my number four, and actually this one's pretty much Jim, this one's pretty much from you. If like, I don't, I don't know if it was not necessarily like directly. I don't know if you gave me the whole album necessarily, but you definitely like, uh, songs from, but my number four is uh, uh, "Wish" by The Cure. Um, Aww. Some have been surprised that that wasn't higher uh, on, on mine, but it's like at this point, uh, uh, competition is getting getting pretty fierce, and um, <laughs> and, and it's not like and and to me, it's like uh, it's not it's not perfect. It's not it's not a perfect. Um, I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't necessarily love like all the um, super like up, upbeat stuff. On, on, on Let's this. get happy. Yes, that I one. Yes. That <laughs> yeah, this one, this one is definitely uh, this is this is on my list to come as well. Um, yeah. I figured. I figured. Yeah, I, I, I it's probably it number well. twelve on my. It's number twelve on my list. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, okay. and it's mainly because of those happy songs. I just yeah, uh, right. I was gonna say like I was thinking about it and I was like listening to it and like listening through and putting this whole thing together and I was like. I felt I called this a, a th- like a three-way crossroads between sort of um uh I guess just like early like you know, it was like early like kind of like punky cure um and then like sort of like late 80s sort of like psychedelic kind of like dark mm. psychedelic cure like a disintegration era and yeah. then and then you're get, starting to get the the wild mood swings and the sort of like the uber pop uh, late '90s and beyond cure. Like you're starting to get the, um, uh, yeah, we're starting to get all three of those players. But I guess it's it's worth you know, the worth mentioning the the, the sort of origin story uh, of uh, it. It just cracks me up. I'd actually forgotten about this, and it was. Uh, Jim, I'm sure you. I'm sure you probably recall, probably pretty vividly too. But I was. It was a couple years after this, so maybe maybe you're following or '93, '94. But like I was, um, we we were hanging out already at that point, and uh, 
I was going to a Christian youth convention in Memphis, oh. Tennessee. And I was going to, I was going to be out of town for like a couple of weeks. And oh yeah. And you might remember too, that they were like being really weird about like, um, uh, like what was appropriate, like inappropriate material. Like they got really like Bible bangy, which was like, was mm. not how we, things usually were at my church at least traditionally but anyway they were being kind of picky about like what we could listen to and that which is when i realized that i was a satanist and left the church um and uh but you gave me uh as i was leaving you said you you gave me a mixtape and you said and he said uh so you have some sad songs to listen to while you're on the road or something and um you wrote me like a little letter and you get, and you made me a mixtape and it had a bunch of, maybe it was all, even all cure. Like, I don't know, but it was like a bunch of stuff from, from wish. Um, that was all the, on this tape that, uh, I ended up getting a pretty, pretty heavy rotation and, uh, super, super weird youth trip. That is a story for another time. But, uh, um, yeah, but, uh, this this one is worthy of mention. Like even if it's like even with the the pop, poppy peppy uh, happy numbers, like the uh, you know j- j- just for like from for from the edge of the deeker and scene alone, like it's it's it would be oh. worth being included for that that song by itself. So, um, oh man, when we went to see the Cure live and it was just the Cure, like no opening act. I think it was at the Rosemont. Yeah, I remember that. I was there. Oh my god! And they, when they when they played this song, oh my oh, god! Oh, the first time, the ver- yeah, back in back in '96, I think, on the Wild Yeah. Show. Oh, Dan, Dan, you were there. You were there too. Yeah, I was there. We were all oh, at yeah. that show. What? That's oh, yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah. That's fucking cool as hell. I remember. Yeah, I, I almost forgot. I about lost my mind when they played when they played from the edge of the deep green sea. I lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> About 10 years ago now, long, it doesn't feel like it, but uh, I, I bought a ticket to the the aftermarket for Austin City Limits Crash because it was the first time they did two weekends and so nobody knew what the demand was. And so all the scalpers bought the tickets and then the aftermarket crashed for the second weekend. And so I bought a ticket for, I want to say $30 on Craigslist uh, and got there like late in the day on Saturday, I wasn't planning on going all weekend. I got there at like four o'clock. I got there just as Wilco was opening their set with California stars. They played their set, uh, like darted over to the next stage to see Kendrick Lamar and then went back to the main stage for the cure to wrap up the night. They played. Yeah. It was like the best day I've ever had. (laughs) <laughs> no kidding and they played yeah they played like pretty much all of wish which is maybe i don't know i i, I can't decide on a favorite cure album but i love all of these songs a lot and so they played from the edge of the deep green sea and i just lost my fucking mind right they played Dude, 
they played stuff that I never thought I would hear. They played Want from the opener from uh, Wild Mood Swings. They played. They opened the set with "Open" from Wish, which is like one of those songs that just. Oh yeah, I love that. Mm, Perfect. Like they just they did yeah they just gave me everything I possibly wanted, and it was just one of those things where I like woke up that morning. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do today. I'll, you know go ride my bike somewhere. And then I rode my bike to the park and saw the cure play for two hours, like two perfect hours. And oh, yeah, so this good. Is, yeah, that's, that's, that's my top cure memory. Uh, but I did enjoy the 1996 show as well. I, 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 I do feel bit, like wish and wild mood swing should be in my list. They're definitely my honorable mentions. I just think what dis, I mean, disintegration would definitely would probably be in the top three or whatever year it came out i would think right. you know but uh maybe it is maybe i just don't like it when the cure gets happy like when they have those three or four songs on either wish or wild mood swings where i'm like nope not for me <laughs> yep, <Right>. yep. <laughs> I like it because it, just, it sounds so it's like yeah it's like forcing a, like a rictus grin onto a doll <laughs> Um, which is a, a vibe I'm into. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, cool. I like that. Uh. Yeah, that uh. really works for me. But yeah, um, yeah, can't can't say enough good stuff about Wish. Just a uh, yeah. I, I yeah. When I was 16, I remember I broke up with my my girlfriend on my 16th birthday by passing what? her a note with the lyrics to a letter to Elise, which is one of the most despicable things I think I've ever done. Um, that was, yeah, not, we've all not done a, it. We've all done a version of that. Yeah. Not, not a great moment. Um, but that I, I couldn't find the words to say, like, I need to start my 16th year unencumbered. Uh, and there was a letter to Elise. And so I just changed Elise to her name. I won't say it now out of <laughs> respect and, and shame. Was that the, um, is that the partner that, that I, uh, that I'm aware of, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Makes sense. Yeah. Pretty young, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's probably very, actually probably pretty, pretty mature and pretty, pretty foresightful of you. If only we could all have that sort of uh, emotional intelligence <laughs> when we're fifteen. Just wasn't feeling it. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of commitment when you're sixteen years old. Yeah, boy, the resignation that Robert Smith conveys at the end of that song—it's just like, yep, it's over. Nothing, nothing else. It's ending. It's over. It's nothing yeah. else can be done. You know, that's it. Sorry. Yeah. Perfect song. Also, while we're talking about this record, um, I'm just going to flag the song cut and how fucking crazy the guitars on on that song. Oh, I yeah. Listened oh, to yeah. It a long time and then heard it on some really good speakers. And I was like, this song is fucking insane. And they've got a new record coming out in September. Oh my gosh. Peter Gabriel and the cure. Are they just like trying to make us? Yeah. Like boost our dopamine levels in our brain. Just like, Hey, <laughs> right? why not? Good looking out. That's great. Oh my God. What, all these 1992 bands are coming back. Sweet. You know who continue, you know who continues to tour to this day? It's someone that I did not. I, I didn't really get into. Gosh, I'm just bringing up people from high school, and I think it's probably 
expected because uh, I'm such a nostalgic motherfucker. But Clint, Clint Keene was obsessed with Jonathan Richmond. Oh, yeah, for sure. And He's awesome. As well, he should be. I, 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 at the time, certainly, or certainly in 92, I had no idea who he was. No. I think it wasn't until There's Something About Mary. Oh, okay. Where I've, who is this guy playing these songs in this movie? <laughs> was really just my initial thought. And once I finally went back to his uh, discography, I, I discovered that one of my favorite records of his came out this year, and it's called I, Jonathan, from Jonathan Richmond. things to do not because you gotta when you run for love not because you oughta when you trust your friends with no reason oughta the joy I've named shall not be tamed and that summer feeling is gonna haunt you one day in your life yeah I just love this album and again I didn't hear it until 98 maybe or 99 uh and and now and, and oddly enough dan you know who also made me realize how much i love jonathan richmond is that dustin from dustin in the furniture oh that makes sense yeah yeah like because we were having a conversation and i just basically said well, well so who, are, who are your favorite songwriters and this was kind of at the top of his list and i had I hadn't put two and two together, but once he said that, I'm like, Oh, I get it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, like this, this, the sensibility, this style works because I do love songwriters like Jens Lechman and Stephen Merritt, but you know, the, he, Jonathan's very playful, very light on his feet. And it's just no pretension whatsoever. He will just say, I love the Velvet Underground, and here's a song about why I love the Velvet Underground. And, you know, he embraces, like, you know, the old oldies that I grew up with from the 60s. Like, he brings that sensibility into his style and his sound that I just kind of find catchy and, and adorable, <laughs> you know. And, you know, his the, the probably the most famous song on here was I Was Dancing in a Lesbian Bar. And for me... The song That Summer Feeling is one of the all-time most moving songs that he's ever made because it is about nostalgia. Mm. <laughs> and it is about pining for the olden days and embracing, you know, the imperfections of of memory and loss and 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 wanting so much from life and not being able to get it. It's it, you know, you tie this you pretty much you could put a mixtape together and put That Summer Feeling and then Summer Bay back to back. And you have a great mix right there at the top. But I just, I don't know. I, you can't talk to the dude is a fantastic song about a woman who's stuck in a doomed relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like there's just a track for track for me. I, I I love when there's this lo-fi jangle pop sound and yet he's just really sincere and childlike (laughs) at times, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's just really, got one of those senses of humor that I also immediately clicked with, but um, he's, he's not afraid to get a little dark at times with a song like that summer feeling. So 
I don't know. Um, if if you're looking for the perfect starting point, if you haven't listened to Jonathan Richmond, I would say this is probably the best place to start is with um, I, Jonathan from 1992, a record that has gone way up in my mind the more I go back to it. I was there to check the scene and hang around well at first Um, so for number three, I've got Wish, and uh, I'll, I'll pass because we talked a whole lot about Wish already. Excellent. Nice. Um, curious. Uh, this one's okay. So my number three, this one was like, was, pre- was not quite it's like was like almost influential like at like i probably discovered this or like in like 93 like so it was like not not quite when it was like brand brand new because again i was 12 and like not not cool yet but um my number three is the uh twin peaks fire walk with me soundtrack um wow right (laughs) That is such a great choice. Oh, I, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And here I am thinking, who's going to bring up the single soundtrack? I wonder. I don't know if anybody will, but that's okay. But you brought up probably my favorite soundtrack of the year. It, Man, it, it really holds up. And, like, I have just, like, it is, like, unfathomable how much I've listened to this this album, like, oh, like in my life. Like, um, it's like... Whew kind of a sort of became a like a quintessential kind of like late night album for me, like kind of back then and even back as like, as like a teen and stuff. And then like, it's pretty much stayed that, but like listening to it again, like it's, it it is maybe because of this record or not, but it's like, it's almost funny, but like, I would say that like cool jazz is like, like some of my most listened to music like that's like kind of like what i tend what i kind of listen to like on like when i'm like living life or whatever like i I listen to a lot of like west coast jazz um lately especially like for whatever reason and it's like and i think it's partially and much of it is to do with like there's just this feeling and this this like vibe of uh in twin peaks music that is um hard to describe it's like hard to quite quite put your finger on or to to, to 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 quantify or say like why that's but it but it's like sort of distinctive and it's like um but i, I was gonna say like so it's like this this soundtrack got me into cool jazz and then later on like when it become a thing there's there's a genre what they what they call doom doom jazz um and doom jazz mm. is basically like you know, Twin Peaks, you know, soundtrack, like just kind of like, like on opiates and like stretched out, stretched out to like, you know, hours lengths or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, it, you know, it kind of like set the stage for like what would become some of my favorite, favorite musics. And, and then also like, I mean, I just think it's, I don't know. It's like worth noting. I just think it's like, I don't know. I, I like, I like 
the movie soundtrack better than I like I like the series soundtrack, and I th I think that the I think that the um yeah so anyway there's like some cool like musical sort of like appearances and stuff too because like the the Julie Cruz songs are are on the unbelievable and we just lost her too I know right and I thought that and that that was a coincidence even like I was already on my on my list and um and then yeah she just passed and um. But yeah, her you know questions in the world of blue, uh, oh, absolutely rules. Like, um, and I've seen Twin Peaks Firewalk with me on the big screen now oh, three times recently. Didn't you go see it? Yep, yep, yeah, I sure wow. did. And and when that song starts playing, Niagara Falls. Like I am oh. gone. And when I'm when I'm seeing Laura Palmer crying her eyes out to that song, I'm just like, forget it. No shit, and it's produced like crazy. Like it's it's it, yeah, it's like mixed super well. Like hasn't aged a, a second. My number three, we won't go on too much about because it's already been mentioned. But Rolling Stone called it the quintessential indie rock album, and that is uh, Pavement Slanted and Enchanted, hmm. whose um, whose title was inspired by a painting that David Berman did. Oh. And let me say that if we redid the 1998 episode. Silver Jews' American Water would now be my number one of 1998. Love that, uh, that, that, that songwriter, that record in the past couple years has gone way up. Because, we again, we lost him way too young, tragically. And once I started going back and listening to that discography, I went nuts and just was like, oh, my God, I love Silver Jews. So, um, but Pavement is another band that took me a while to warm up to, but I, I certainly have. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say the song here is my favorite song of 1992. I love everything about that song. And it's kind of, again, an outlier because a lot of the other songs are louder and noisier and got more fuzz guitar. Mm -hmm. But that, that song sounds like it could have been a Radiohead song or something like from the okay computer era in terms of that guitar playing and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's gorgeous. It's just a beautiful song. And that opening line, I was dressed for success, but success, it never comes. is just, Oh, like, I cannot tell you how much I love pavement now hmm. before it was, there was a little bit of a disconnect because I, I just heard that song cut your hair and I was just like, eh, they're all right, I guess. And yeah, that was their big radio hit. Right. But then I went back, especially once terror twilight came out, I was just kind of like, 
oh, Pavement, I actually love this band. Who knew? <laughs> and this record is phenomenal, even if it's messy and, and crazy and, and kind of just bipolar <laughs> at times. You know, like he's got those cut and paste lyrics and yet he's got, you know, really raw production. But like you mentioned, Jay, that guitar playing is phenomenal throughout. So it makes sense that this, this is a band that's grown in estimation for me. And this is one of their best records without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Agreed. All right. At number two, I've got uh, the future by Leonard Cohen. Um, I, yeah, again, like another one that I've just listened to, I don't know, a million times in my life. Uh, the first six songs on this record, the whole record's great, but, uh, the first six songs on it, it's only a nine song record, um, are just perfect. Like they're as good as anything Leonard Cohen ever wrote, uh, which is a pretty impressive thing to do to just add, he was almost 60 when this record came out. And uh, just in his best work, like it, I mean, it's so remarkable. Um, you know, all of the themes on the record really resonate. Like it's pretty remarkable. The record's called The Future, and like you listen to it in 2016, and you're like, oh yeah, he knew. Um, you know, it's the darkest shit. Like, yeah, it just it it. I don't know. Like his voice. This is, you know, I'm your man was kind of when his voice was starting to to shift from the kind of tenor to the the deep deep baritone. Um, mm-hmm. But at this point, like he just sounds like he's from another planet. And uh, yeah, I mean, this record opens with the song "The Future," goes into "Waiting for the Miracle." Um, oh yeah. You know, all the songs used in Natural Born Killers. Yeah, those are both yeah. Natural Born Killers because that's the vibe, man. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, he does a couple of, of really left field covers. He does a, a cover of a Gwen McRae, like a, a stack soul song called Be For Real. And then he does uh, an old Irving Berlin song, uh, Always. Um, yeah, but like, you know, I, this is the only record on this list that I have a, a tattoo from the lyrics. Uh, from Anthem, you know, and then like, I don't know, like I've listened to Democracy, uh, which oh, is yeah. one of like as as great a song as like it, it's similar in a lot of ways in that it's got like a million verses and they all, uh, you know, you can you could write a million more, so it's similar kind of to Hallelujah in that way. Um, but you know, I've listened to that song. I don't know as much as any song anybody's ever written. This is just yeah, just my favorite Leonard Coward record, which makes it, you know, real short list for the, you know, my favorite records by anybody. These are, yeah. Yeah. Hearing you talk about it, it's one of those. I'm like, yeah, this probably should be in my top 10 because <laughs> I, I know I listen to it a lot and it, yes, much like uh, Peter Gabriel's us, it, it, it's, it feels like a record of, of the time when I was just 
of course, because of pub of the volume, again, people should just take a drink every time I mention it. Um, but you know, I mean, come on, like th- this, yeah, you're talking about that line, right? Oh, like from, from, the, from Anthem, there's a crack in everything. That's how yeah. the light gets in. Yeah. That's just as good as lyric writing gets, you know? So, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's Leonard Cohen. Come on. <laughs> it's a phenomenal it's a record. Up. It's in my runner's yeah. up. much too much to possibly said so my number two is uh uh tom waits's bone machine um and like i don't know we need like new categories of like we should be like i make like 10 number ones and then make this number one like all 10 number ones or something like that because it's it's unbelievable like how like unbelievably into this record that i am like it's like um this is this is like this was and and, and uh, this is I, I think it's a pretty pretty extant, you know accepted viewpoint you know amongst Tom White fans uh, that this is like this was like the turning point and this was like more or less like when he shifted to like weird Tom Waits like um you know it was like when he he was like kind of like leaving his barfly like cocktail jazz piano kind of persona behind and when he started working with his um with his wife kathleen brennan for the first time and uh Mm. it's just like and again and and part of the reason why i was noticing that sort of the connecting thread with the the ones that became like my sort of like top albums or the ones that would go on to would like really shape like the way that i like listen to and like think of or like um like influence like how i how i hear music and stuff like um and shit like we probably even like you know maybe we talked about this at the time or whatever but like when like when we were all first hanging out when we were first friends like i wasn't i wasn't into like like country or like old blues or maybe blues but like i wasn't old i wasn't into like old country or like folk records when i like i was like a like a little goth kid or whatever like I was not, I did not have like the vernacular for, um, so the fact that this record would become so influential and that this sort of like doomy, like murder ballads and like fucked up, like apocalyptic blues and like weird, like Weimar, like decade, like drag decadence and shit. Like there's like an incredible amount of like ideas going on. Like you want to talk about people trying stuff and just like doing stuff and like, um, and I think too, like, you know, the, the, that stuff is, was like, was like intentional. Like, I think I'm pretty sure that if you read interviews with him, he'll be like, yeah, I was like, I was, uh, you know, I was, refer- I was referencing like Bertolt Breck and like, um, you know, twenties, twenties German, you know, musicals and stuff. And so that's, a, that tends to be the stuff that's like a lot of my favorite music, things that are like, kind of like the, the, the sort of the wormhole, the, the kind of the, 
and then you get into this and you get into the, so anyway, like the, this, this particular like album, this one and mule variations were like really um, kind of put me on the path to like getting into like, like old, you know, American roots music, like, you know, the kind of the more, you know, the more kind of experimentally kind of, but then, uh, and the last thing about it too, but there's, there's, there's actual like songs on here too, though. Like there's, there's, it's not all just like, just like ambiance or whatever, but so like some of my favorite Tom Waits songs, like in general, like, um, one, who, who are you is a, is, is a favorite of mine of his. And then like, um, yeah, going out West, uh, a nice little sort of like spy rocker kind of like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just got this sort of like um, it's got this like junkyard kind of like feel yeah. to it. Yeah, that I just yeah, and I just love it, and it just rules, and it just like it does, it just again just does not age. Like it's just like it's it's, it's like it's unbelievable that it's just thirty years old, and like you know, I've listened to this record you know probably seventy five times, and it could I just. I, don't, I mean, I don't really use this word lightly, but it's, it's, it's flawless. Like I'd say that this is a, a, a flawless record, and um, yeah. So, so my number two <laughs> is uh, REM's "Automatic for the People," mm-hmm. and both my number two and my number one have a lot of songs about death on them. <laughs> Yeah, again, one of those CDs when I bought it, I just immediately loved everything about it. And even if something like Everybody Hurts was overplayed and everybody talked about that video, there's a real vulnerability there. It's maybe not one of their strongest songs in terms of the lyrics, but I don't skip over it. I think it's still beautiful. It feels like their most emotionally articulate record because it's sad and painful, but also funny and raging and you know there's a lot of longing and there's a lot of again like coming to terms with mortality and certainly losing people and grieving and you know sweetness follows what can you say about that song i just and and the one-two punch of night swimming being about innocence and find the river being about death is just the most perfect way to end and a record where I'm like, you know, if REM just quit after this, it's like the perfect high note to go out on. And yet I did like things about Monster and I certainly liked New Adventures in Hi-Fi. But no, this is their pinnacle. This is their best record. There's just no doubt about it. I won't say too much because everybody knows how great it is. Yeah. And this is it, right? Yeah, my number one... uh, pretty sure I'm alone in this one. Um, maybe there's like some German, some guy in Germany who's listening to this. Who's like, yes. Uh, the end of silence by Rollins band. 
Um, yeah, like this record for for my money, the. 1992 Rollins band, which is the same band that he had from 87 till 92. And they broke up after this, uh, is the best rock band ever assembled. Um, just there, there is not another bass player like, uh, like Andrew Weiss. The rhythm section on this record is incredible. Um, the fact that Henry Rollins can't sing is such an asset on this record because it's one of those things where like, when you have a band this good and this intense and this capable of doing anything, if you, you, if you have a singer, you end up doing, you end up being like rush or something like, yeah, you end up with like this. Okay. I've got to be as technically incredible as everybody around me. And it it just gets really boring. And, uh, and because Henry Rollins is not a singer because he is just, like barking out all of these lyrics. It is a force of nature. Yeah. It really, (laughs) it it makes the band sound like something, like something else. Like they, they're the best metal band who ever played, but they're also like, they're not, they don't have to try and be great because they, they're, they'll never sound good because their singer can't sing. And it's, it's just a really unique thing. And so this is, this record came out, um, this is their, it's not actually their major label debut, but the the indie that they were on when this record came out had a major distribution deal. So this is the kind of their breakthrough record. And it just, you know, all of the records before this, they all had these black and white covers. And this one has a, a color cover. And it really feels like going from black and white to color. Like hmm. this just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if either of you have even listened to this record, but like. I've heard it now. Yeah, there is there is really nothing like it. You know, these uh, uh, listen to. I'll I'll give you a couple of recommendations. Listen to because there there are pop songs on this record. Like this record had hits, Um, but listen to "Obscene," which has the like most punishing rhythm section. Uh, Like the the bass line on that song is just has been stuck in my head for twenty years. You know, just like you is this. I don't even know how to. I mean, it's it's this song about child abuse and like rage and you know growing into being someone who is reckoning with it. Um, and you know, there, yeah, like these are songs that would not work if you if you had somebody who could match the band technically, but instead you have somebody who's matching them with intensity, and it it's it's really special. Like this isn't like there aren't a lot of like, there aren't, there aren't any records like it. Like it's really just an unusual, unusual thing. Like it, it just, yeah, it is the, for my money, the most intense rock record anybody ever made. It's, it's not a a bold statement. I'm going to have to listen to it tonight. Yeah. it's (laughs) It's not a punk record. It's more a metal record than that, but it's really just kind of like the best version of like, really heavy rock and roll. Yeah. I, I, I didn't really hear them. I think until liar and disconnect. Yeah. And like they, they switched bass players when that record came out and it, the band lost something. There was just, you mm. know, in the way, like the bassist they replaced him with was also very good, but there's just kind of an alchemy to this lineup. And, you know, so you just get these, you know, 11 minute jams, like, yeah, like half the songs on this record are eight minutes or longer. 
Um, it's just, yeah, it, it's like, yeah, there's a little bit of, of Grateful Dead in it. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot going on. Oh, wow. The bassist went on to play with Ween. Holy yeah. crap. What? Really? That's nuts. Shit. Huh. That's cool. Wow. I'm so excited to hear your number one choice. That's great. All right, Jason, what do you got? All right. Well, and this, this is what was well-trod ground at, at this point. So I, I will also keep my somewhat brief, but my, my number one is, is, is automatic for the people by, by REM. Um, that's what I ended up picking for my number one. Um, and, uh, you guys, you guys, we've, 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 we've said much, a lot about, about, uh, about this record already um I, I will say pretty much the two two things i, I will say the my defenses and i, I also uh no i i i, I I've, I've had to defend this this uh position and decision to uh, to a few people already people, some people were flabbergasted that i would that i would said that this was the best album of 1992 but i said what i said a lot of people did at the time yeah i i I'm saying it right now. I, I stand by, I stand by my decision. Um, but I would say that the two things, uh, one somewhat objective and the other being entirely subjective, but, uh, um, John Paul Jones's string arrangements. Uh, that's oh, why God. I think that this record is, is, uh, the, uh, notable and is, uh, best of 92, probably the best of our, of REM and like, and re- remains a, uh, uh, you know, personal favorite, but the, all those, all the cello parts and the strings, like sort of throughout the, throughout the album, are just, just like impeccable and really add a nice, um, really add add something special to, uh, to the whole thing. And um, and, and the second part, which is like I, I, I thought, I thought I'd mention it because also like I thought there's a chance you, you guys might actually know what I'm talking about, which is almost kind of scary too, but how I discovered this album and like pretty much this band is like, again, I wasn't like into music yet at this point, but there was, um, it was like, right. It was like shortly after this record had come out, but there was, um, back in, um, the Chicagoland area where we were all living at, at that time. Um, but there was like a, there was like an evening news, like, expose kind of a but there was a the, the, the like channel it was like fox news and they were doing a special on generation x and it was the first time <laughs> that i ever saw i ever heard those words and it was uh it was a news story and it was again it's probably like early 93 like uh either very late 92 or very late 93 and they they used the beginning of drive Mm-hmm. Um, the, the album opener mm-hmm. as as the theme music for this for this. This sounds so familiar. Right? I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. show the, there's like they like show these like these like grunge kids and like oh man, I still see it as clear as day. Is like there's yeah, like yeah. these like in like flannels and but it was it was all like slow motion though. That was my favorite part. Like it was all like um. It's all just like super like moody and angsty and like <laughs> in slow motion. It's like kids in like docks and like flannels and yeah. It's like that's like, who I want to be. You found it absolutely. Yeah, that, yep, that was exactly, the, yeah. the 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 actual result because it was like the moody guitars and like this like kind of like kind of like epic kind of like 
you know, kind of, kind of footage and shit. And I'm just, yeah. And again, we were like, you know, 13 and right on that, right on the demographic. And I said, yeah, and I just, I don't know. But even to the, this day, like there's like this mood. It's like, there's this, there's, yeah, there's just like this mood on that album. That's just like, that's just really like gripping and just kind of, it's kind of emotional, but it's kind of like, uh, it's, I don't know. Um, so anyway, that, that, that is why as my number one choice for night, 1992. In 1992, our AM's automatic for the people would be my number one choice. In uh, 2022, you know, there were a lot of contenders like Kenny G and Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I know people. Will turn it. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's not for me. It's. it's <laughs> You won't find the, you won't find ICP on my list. On the long list. But, uh, <laughs> but I am I'm a, I'm kind of obsessed with Tom Waits, too. So it's just funny, Jason, because we could just flip our number ones. I mean, honestly, yeah. Oh, what is ranking number one? Yeah. Um, I mean, Bone Machine really kind of blew my mind when I went back to it. I mean, I know everybody kind of cites Rain Dogs as his masterpiece, and certainly Mule Variations was also the gateway. You know, when I first came across that record and the song Hold On, I was like, oh, I guess I'm a Tom Waits fan. I love Um, that song so much. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) But when, when he sings... I did my time in the jail of your arms from who are you? I am, I'm, I am, I am gone. And <laughs> no, not okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and for throughout a lot of this record, I'm not okay, but in a good way, um, kind of destroyed. Yeah. How do your pistol and your Bible and your sleeping pills go? Are you still jumping out? amazed at like how this played during the pandemic, (laughs) like just the apocalyptic nature of those opening songs. Um, and that insane falsetto on dirt in the ground. Uh, I mean, his falsetto is just insane. I mean, just like the fact that he does it and the fact that he changes his voice in different ways throughout this album is kind of, kind of mind blowing. And yeah, you mentioned going out West as this, primitive blues stomper that's brilliantly used in fight club for like a quick scene. Um, Oh, I, yeah, again, not of this earth. I don't, I don't know where Tom Waits comes from and how he does what he does, but when he does it, I am amazed. And, uh, bone machine is just a perfect record in every single way. I think it's his best. For me, I mean, people will make the argument for other records, but um, again, another amazing album about death and mortality and loss and losing your mind <laughs> and not wanting to grow up. 
So it's a perfect soundtrack to the apocalypse. And yet it's also incredibly beautiful in a way that only Tom Waits can do. And as time has gone on, he's become one of my top 10 favorite songwriters. Even if yes, those vocals are an acquired taste. And if I ever play Tom Waits in front of my mom, she demands me to turn it off. Ah, ah no accounting for taste. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. He sounds like a he sounds like Cookie Monster, you know, like that complete dismissal of his voice is just oh, something harsh. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, come on, like I think what Keith Richards shows up on this album it does. Um, I didn't realize that till this. Yeah. Oh, that perfect ending track, that feel. Oh my god. So two what can I say? Pri- two thirds of Primus on on this record too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Less of rain. Oh, a puppy agrees. Yeah. Yeah. She it's can't like, get over it. Primus. What, what more do you use? I, I don't know. It's like almost easy to overlook like how insanely dark that some of this shit is too. Like, because <laughs> it's like kind of, you know, because it's got a, an up tempo and it's like kind of, it's like, but like dirt in the ground, it's like track number two or whatever, you know, and it's just like, oh. You know, it's just that that is like so unbelievably metal like that is like some of the most like harshest sentiments and just like we're all gonna be dirt in the ground just like goddamn dumb (laughs) such an existential song seriously just like good lord but but it doesn't but it doesn't sound like particularly gothic that's like you know what i what i sort of enjoy yeah! Wow! What a what a year! What a all these lists are so good. I can't tell you. I, I'm so grateful. But we do have some honorable mentions. I'll fly through mine really quickly. Uh, <laughs> Pantera, vulgar display of power. That was uh, wh- that was my discovery of uh, Headbangers Ball when I oh, first yeah. saw that video for This Love. I was like, "What is metal? Oh, this is metal. Okay, this is insane." Uh, Rage Against the Machine, of course. Tori Amos, Little Earthquakes, of course. Prince, the love symbol album, which is very long and overindulgent, but I still love it. It is long. <laughs> Seven is one of my favorite songs ever. So um, Mary J. Blige, what's the four one one Sonic youth with dirty Allison chains with dirt, mm-hmm. Leonard Cohen, the future PJ Harvey dry ice cube, the predator, the cure with wish and Peter Gabriel us. Nice. I've got the Aladdin soundtrack. Uh, Harvest Moon by Neil Young. Ah, yeah, Broken nice. Broken by Norman Schultz. New Miserable Experience by the Gin Blossoms. Uh, Danzig 3, How the Gods Kill by Danzig. Yeah. Um, also a, a, a four on the coming straight out the gate uh, contender. Um, Dehumanizer by Black Sabbath, their uh, reunion album with Ronnie James Dio. Uh, Off the Deep End by Weird Al Yankovic. Sure. Uh, three years, five months, and two days in the life of Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. That one I completely forgot, but you're right. That's a good record. Uh, Congregation by the Afghan Wigs and yeah. Sweet Oblivion by Screaming Trees. Oh, of course. The Screaming oh, Screaming Trees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Featured just- prominently on the single soundtrack, of course. You know, they never got paid for that song. Oh what? my god, that's nuts! Yeah, they. Yeah, uh, go figure. Yeah, the uh, they yeah the label gave it to singles as a 
as a promotion thing, but then they waited for months to put out the record. And so everybody had already heard the song at that point and uh, they never made any money off of it. So dumb. Yeah. Smart no move. kidding. God. How about you, Jay? Some honorable mentions. Yeah. So and I, I'm, I'm sort of enjoying too. Like I, I like the, at the end of the, it's, it's almost like our lists are like, kind of like, like remixes of each other, each other in a weird way. <laughs> um, but, but I, I only, I only added five to my, to, to my runners up. Um, uh, so first, first was uh, Dr. Dre, the chronic, um, deserved to be mentioned. Uh, number two, uh, Caius blues for a red sun, uh, the verse Caius record. Uh, fantastic. Uh, stoner metal. Um, number three, uh, neurosis souls at zero early neurosis. Uh, number four, beastie boys, check your head. Which we've discussed and number five, uh, rage against the machine. Uh, Rage Against the Machine. Those are all great records. My God. I can't wait to do this again. (laughs) And and next year, I just, I just, I just truly wonder what we're going to, what we're going to experience going back to 1993, because again, important year for, in, in a lot of ways. And certainly will Dan and I have the same number one? That's a, that's a big question. (laughs) <laughs> so where can we find you uh, both on the internet as we wrap up here? Um, again, I can't thank you both enough. And uh, Dan, where can we find you on the internet? If uh, we want to f- you know, read more of your work out there. Sure. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Solomon. Uh, you can find me on texasmonthly.com where I'm a senior editor and uh, you can find me in about, 10 months uh my debut novel will be out uh, via Flex Books. so yeah i'll be i'll be all over before we record this next uh next edition of this podcast i'll have a novel out that i would love for all of your listeners to buy oh yeah i'll make sure of that and i'll make sure to read mm-hmm. it of course mm-hmm. cannot wait so proud of you man Thanks. and all your accomplishments all right jay cool. how about you how about you uh so yeah um if anybody cares to read more of my um, music related writing, I, I, I sort of write I'm freelance. So I'm kind of all, all over the place, but uh, the, sort of the general hub of like everything is, is a forest punk. As you said at the beginning of the, the podcast. So it's a forestpunk.wordpress.com. And, uh, and then if anybody cares to follow uh, or connect on social media, you can find me um, on all social media platforms at forest punk, but with a three for the E. So F E O F O R three S T punk um, on Twitter and Instagram. Mostly. Excellent. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Dan and Jay, as always, I, I always look forward to these and cannot wait for next year. Same. Mm-hmm. Same. Girlfriend, and she's eating the fingers like they're just another meal. But she waits there in the levee washers, mixing cocktails with a plastic.